Happy Tuesday morning, everybody, and welcome back. We took a week off from First Down South, but we are returning to you now to talk about the big stories going on that impact the SEC. And in this case, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a, of a broader look, a, a little bit of a big picture look at the SEC from the past decade as we break down our picks for the best team of the last decade in the SEC. Before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and bring in my my uh, my co-host here on the show, and that would be Matt Zenitz on my right and John Talty at the bottom of your screen. Guys, uh, what, what did you guys – how did you spend our, our week apart from each other? Under the weather. No, I'm sorry to hear that, Matt. Yeah. I, I, I was just uh, that, that affected by being without Matt Scalisi for a week. <laughs> I was just out of commission. Like it's just yeah. crazy the the unexpected impact of not having Mascalisi around for that short period of time that that, that had on me. I don't so, know if it was the same for John. Scalisi deficiency. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah I, a problem. I, I, well. Yeah. Well, look, we're all we're all back here now. Hopefully, we're all feeling well. Hopefully, everybody at home watching is feeling well right now. We're heading into the spring. It's starting to. We're, we're finally coming out of this awful weather. And uh, unfortunately, some some bad some bad weather hitting parts of college football right now. And you know, even though it doesn't directly impact them, I think it it this story that came out this week that has been the talk for the last twenty four hours at least uh, does impact one SEC program. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about the big story that that broke last night involving Les Miles, a former uh, big name around this league. Uh, was a huge presence in this league for many, many years and uh, ultimately did part ways with LSU. The news came out last night that he uh, he is no longer the head coach at Kansas. His, his head coaching career in major college football may be over at this point. Uh, and all of this comes on the heels of Les Miles' name being brought up in an investigation at LSU regarding how uh, some some – allegations of inappropriate conduct were handled by the school. So first of all, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll start off with you, John. This obviously is, is going to be a story that I think colors the way people look at Les Miles uh, from here on out. Yeah, I agree. And I think the point that you made there, I mean, I think his college football career is done at this point. I don't see him getting another job. I think he's pretty much unhirable at this point. So, you know, like you said, it does tarnish, I think, how people look at him. He was viewed as kind of like the fun, goofy uncle of the SEC. He's eating grass, and we found that very entertaining. And I think the allegations uh, that are out there, you know, show him to be much more I mean, I don't want to say malicious is the right word, but there's a darkness to him that maybe we didn't know about and how we covered him in the past. And so I think his career has been forever tarnished. Uh, I'll make this point, you know, I don't say this jokingly, but you know, he needs a different lawyer too. And just the fact that his lawyer wanted this stuff out there because he thought it was going to prove, you know, that his side of the story was accurate. And then a few days later he gets fired. So that was a misplay by his lawyer and Les. Uh, and I think just big picture, it shows that LSU is a very dysfunctional place. We've seen multiple senior administrators that have been suspended. I think there, you know, there are ongoing protests that want you know stronger results than that. And it just shows there's a lot of issue. I and mean, they've had multiple different law firms now investigate them, produce these reports. Uh, to this point, it seems like those issues have continued. So we'll be interested to see if they're actually able to fix 
some of these clear systemic issues that are happening within LSU that involve West Miles, but also continued after West Miles left. And so it's not just a West Miles issue, it's an institutional one. The, the thing about that, so th- this is a, a terrible look for Les Miles, obviously. It, it's the latest bad look, headache of a situation, just combining everything from these last few days that LSU's had to deal with during the, this recent period of time. And looking at it, just getting back to Les Miles from a, a football standpoint for him, I, I, I don't see how he gets back into the football at this point because – even aside from this situation, it's not like he was blowing it away from a football standpoint right. either. I mean, he was three and eighteen during the, during the last two years and one and sixteen in, in conference play. So it's not exactly like like things were going well from a football perspective even before this. But uh, as far as the LSU part of it, they, they had student protests yesterday. Yet you have former team captains questioning leadership there. It, it's just not a, a good situation and once again just the latest headache that that athletic department has had to deal with recently and uh obviously for for kansas this is this is a terrible terrible time to have to be looking for a head coach there they're timing wise really the only thing that any of us have seen before uh that would be comparable would be when alabama had to let go of mike price in the middle of the spring and and look I think I think frankly Kansas would do extremely well to come away with a Mike Shula type figure uh, out of this situation. Well, Scalise, I mean, and this kind of speaks in some ways to the weird career he's had. Jeff Long has experience in this area, in which he had a yes. fire with Bobby Petrino in the spring, and they ended up with John L. Smith, which I don't think is what's going to happen here. But honestly, and I, I think you, know, you saw some of this last night when Les Miles got fired, and Jeff Long put out his statement that he was going to hire a search firm. Like I was a bit surprised that he's getting allowed to hire another coach, given how badly they botched the David Beatty situation with the lawsuit and how embarrassing that was. The fact that Jeff Long has admitted that he looked into essentially zero other candidates other than uh, Les Miles. I think during his deposition, he yep. couldn't remember whether he talked to Todd Graham or Todd Grantham. I mean, that's that's kind of the level of search that we saw here. So the fact they're letting him <clears throat> make another hire is honestly surprising to me. But we'll see, I guess, if that lasts. Yeah. not So I'll find a, a way to tie in Ted Lasso here since we were just talking about that before the, the show and the greatness of uh, that series. But if you look at what they did in that show, they went kind of an unconventional route bringing in Ted Lasso to lead ASC Richmond, regardless of what the original intent was in terms of hiring him for that position. Unconventional, but ended up as the show, the season progressed, paying dividends for them and things ended up working in a positive direction there where you saw some good stuff behind the scenes. But the unconventional route paid off a little bit. I think unconventional is the way that Kansas is going to have to go here a little bit outside the box. I, I know people have thrown out just the potential benefits of switching to something like a triple option type coach. But I, I think just based on the current state of that program, that you're going to have to do something a little bit different to get back on track as a program. And I also think even just looking at it from the football side, once again, three and 18, that the last couple of years, I, I couldn't even tell you the last time Kansas was good in football, you're going to have a hard time attra- attracting a top-of-the-line coach that without doing something unconventional would be capable of turning something around. Or, or turning During, like, what was it? like? Probably, like, the early – Zanis will appreciate this one. During, like, the early years of, like, the Ralph Regan era at Maryland, Mark Mangino, I think, was similarly good 
at Kansas. It was a big time for big fat good as coaches. I mean, Gino and Freed did it. They have a good sense. And, you know, again, I don't think we want to talk about too much about Kansas here, but I mean, it is the worst power five job in America. I, mean, I think so. Agents and coaches, like, it is truly a wasteland for coaches. Yeah. So, makes, makes Vanderbilt look like a, a, a major job, I think. So, well, again, I don't want to upset all of our many Kansas listeners here, but like, even if Vanderbilt, if you fail, you still get to live in Nashville. Like, it's yep. the NBC, it's a fun place to live. Anyway, they're like, whereas Kansas, you know, not the greatest place. I'm sorry. Huh? All right. I, never, yeah, I wouldn't know. I, 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 never, I yeah, can't speak to a place. Like, ideal place. So, no. Hey, I'll cross that off the, the vacation list. Yeah, knock it out. When you have vacation next week, don't go to Lawrence. So <laughs> let's uh, let's get into a, a more exciting, more fun discussion topic, and that is our main topic for today, the best SEC team of the last decade. Uh, guys, this, this has been a discussion that has come up a lot, really in the past couple of months, but for, for the past year plus, because I think, there was an immediate discussion after LSU's 2019 season, after their national championship. People started throwing out their best team, be, you know, best college football team ever, best SEC team ever. Uh, and then Alabama's 2020 team sort of immediately threw that into question, and, and that became a big part of the same debate. So I wanted to settle this. I, I think that probably both of those teams are going to factor into this discussion we're about to have. But if we blow this up over the past decade here and, and look at everything going back to 2011, uh, which honestly has been a very good decade for the SEC. We're talking about multiple teams that have won national championships, have made it to the national championship game. Um, you know, obviously has been a decade that was dominated by Alabama, but they were not the only program in the league that had success in that decade. So I want to I want to dive into this discussion and let's start let's start at the bottom of our list, because I think that's where there will be the most differences uh, is at our our number three spot here. So so, John, let's start, let's start with you. Let's get your number three first. So I weighed uh, a lot of different teams. I wanted to embrace the debate and bring a team that I thought the other two of you would not have. So my number three team is 2018 Alabama. And so, you know, you might initially think, all right, how does a team that lost a national championship, how is that one of the top three teams of the decade, in which I'm not going to put teams that didn't win on here. But if you look, and I know, you know, our guy Zenith's a big numbers guy, the statistical numbers of that 2018 team were tremendous. I mean, it was one of the best defenses uh, that Saban has had since the game changed the way it has in terms of spread and more offense. Uh, it was a tremendous offense. And, I mean, so much of I think of how we remember teams, it's just based on the final result. And so we remember the fact that they got crushed against Clemson. And we remember, you know, afterwards, Saban kind of throwing some shade at some of his former assistants and not being locked in enough. But if you talk to people around that team, that was one of the most talented teams Saban has ever had. Maybe the most talented in terms of guys who have gone on, you know, playing the NFL and have had success. And, you know, we know we'll talk about the 2020 team at some point, but a lot of those guys obviously on this team as well. Uh, so I think the way they finish hurts their argument to some extent. But in terms of full body of work the entire year, the amount of talent on it, uh, I think it's one of the top teams. And I think if you replace maybe some of the coaches who I think weren't as locked in, I think that team would have won the national championship. And I think people still on that team believe they should have won the national championship uh, before getting crushed by Clemson. Yeah, 
You know, it's it's funny because I, to me that team is still such a mystery, John. I, I think that will always be a team that I don't really understand what happened at the end. I still just I, you know, there are so many things that go into an individual football game and why somebody wins or loses, but we usually end up coming away with a narrative that we all agree to as to what happened here. And that 2018 national championship game is still not a game that I feel like has a really clear settled narrative out there about what happened that allowed Clemson to just absolutely thrash what I agree with you here, John, was one of the best SEC teams that we've seen in the last 10 years. Yeah, I mean, it's there are some different narratives out there. And I think there have been stories that have come out over the years that Saban and some of the assistants knew just in the lead up to that game that the guys were not locked in the way they were supposed to be. I think you had a loss of leadership from previous teams. And that's something that I think – you know, as you dive into some of these teams, what makes or breaks a good team? I mean, the talent is almost always there. And I think it comes down to, are the assistant coaches bought in the way they need to be? I think that year you can argue they were not, given how many of them quickly bailed after that season. And then just in terms of your top leaders, you know, your top players at each position, are they bought in? Do they have the respect of the team? Are they doing things the way they're supposed to be? And I think you saw some issues uh, with that team. And, you know, I don't want to knock them too hard, but I think if you look at, in terms of pure talent of the last couple of years and who one of the main leaders was, I think that there are some, as time goes on, I think there's some issues that people had with Tua's leadership of that team and maybe not being the best guy in terms of having everybody else bought in behind him. It's interesting <clears throat> interesting that you bring that up, John, because that's certainly been a discussion the last few weeks, even uh, as we see some of these guys making the rounds. Uh, who were on that team and were on the, 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 the teams before and after it being asked uh, if you have to pick a quarterback between Mac Jones and Tua, there's not a lot of hesitation or disagreement from <clears throat> the elite receivers who played on that team. They pretty much all say Mac, uh, which, which is, which is an interesting phenomenon that started to crop up here. So um, yeah, a, a compelling, team for sure and and one that I think people you know forget about like you said because of their title game performance but a, an absolutely dominant team leading up to that uh and let me remind everybody before I move to Matt Zenitz's number three on his list uh I would heavily encourage everybody watching drop your picks for the three best teams of the last decade uh in the SEC into the comments below we'll we'll post some of yours as well during the show here we'll We'll bring you into the discussion as well. We can bring you up on screen here. So, uh, <clears throat> Matt, what's your number three team in the SEC from the past 10 years? Well, the way I approach anything like this is essentially thinking of it from the standpoint, if I was betting on head-to-head matchups, who would I bet on? And a team that, like John's uh, number three, didn't win a national championship, but for me would be somewhere in the top three as far as teams that I would bet on, would be 2016 Alabama. So that that was a, a, a team for, for Alabama that had some things happen at the, the end of the year that if not for those things happening, probably would have uh, been more in line to win the national championship. Uh, came very close, obviously, but had – Eddie Jackson get hurt, that, that made a big difference. Had 
a, a well-documented change in offense coordinator leading into national title game. Lose Bo Scarborough, who had run for two touchdowns early in the national title game, where Alabama was up 14 to nothing early in that game, and then, then the game changes after he got hurt. But that was a, a team that was just absolutely dominant throughout the course of the year, through the first 14 games of the season. One of the, the best defenses in college that I've seen in a, a long time. I'm sure you guys remember uh, Fast Times at Richmond High. Safe to assume that both of you guys have seen that movie. <laughs> Just a, uh, the pop yeah. culture drops today from that. Yeah. So, so you guys remember Forrest Whitaker's character, uh, what was it, Jefferson for, from that movie? They, that Alabama defense was essentially 11 Forrest Whitakers. That, that's what it makes me think of with, with that defense. But to go along with that, you, you have a, a defense for that team they allowed only 11 points per game through 14 games, but at the same time, offensively, led by a freshman, Jalen Hurts, scored at least 30 points offensively in 12 of those first 14 games. A dominant team that we forget about a little bit just because of that end to the, the season and the way that ended against Clemson. And I think one of the greatest – I don't even you off this. I think it's one of the hey, greatest what-ifs is – if they didn't get rid of Kiffin before that game. And yeah. he said publicly many times over the years he thinks they would have won if he had stayed. And I think there's an argument to be made that that is the case. But that's always going to be one of the weirdest teams. And I agree with you. I, mean, I, I think that team is probably, you know, one of the top three or four teams uh, because of the talent. Like you said, the defense was incredible. But it's just always going to have this almost asterisk to me between Kiffin getting replaced and starting Steve Sarkeesian and then obviously, you know, the famous uh, pick play at the end of that game. It's it's funny. A couple of funny things about this so far. I mean, one, people are I do agree that that's going to be part of that story forever, John. But it'd be funny to have to explain to people who don't have the context later why it was a bad thing that Alabama uh, had to put Steve Sarkeesian in as offensive coordinator in that game, who would later, I think, may end up being acknowledged as the best offensive coordinator that Alabama's ever had. Um, But the other part of this is we've so far named two teams that were defeated by Clemson, by Dabo's uh, Clemson dynasty, the two teams that his national championships were against. Uh, he had to beat the best in the SEC. He had to beat two of the best SEC teams of the last decade to do it. So uh, def- definitely did not get there the easy way. We'll say we'll say that for Dabo out, out of those national championships. I've got <clears> – <throat> so for, for my third one, this is a team that, that – I think a lot of people have a lot higher on their list than where I'm inputting them, but I've got the, the 2019 LSU team at number three here. Um, and I, I, I think there's no question that this was an incredible team. Uh, I do think that I'm, I, I'm putting two other teams ahead of them in part because I think that 2019 LSU defense was not great. I, I was I would say it's not a super well-rounded team compared to the other two that I've that I've got on my list. There's no question they were an explosive offensive team. They 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 could not be outscored, and that's ultimately how they did what they did. But I think they I think that they they needed to hang on. They needed to survive a couple of scary games because they they really were not uh, they were not the same program defensively um and and you look we've seen that happen to alabama in phases too but i I think that 2019 lsu team i'm still look there's i I think there are a lot of alabama fans that feel this way i think i probably feel this way too that this was a team that 
as good as they were, they had a very fortunate break in the fact that arguably the best player in the conference that year, at least one of the best players in the conference that year, uh, was injured going into the game against them and and was not himself. Uh, I, We're going to the McCoy debate, okay? A little bit here. I, I do think that I do think that in 2019. Even though that that ultimately was sort of the birth of this the 2020 Bama team that we all have so much respect for, I don't think that that the the coaching staff at Alabama had the same level of confidence yet in Mac Jones running that offense. And I think because of that, Tua was in some games and in some situations where he just physically couldn't do what they needed him to do uh, for that team to play at their best. That look, not take, taking nothing great. away. Yeah. It would have been very interesting to see an Alabama-LSU rematch that year with a, a, a healthier Tua, which at one point looked like it could be a possibility coming out of that game, and then obviously, obviously everything played out like it did. But that would have been a, a fun rematch to, to see come playoff time if that had ended up being a reality. Yeah, I, I but, but all that said, look, the 2019 LSU team, other, other than a couple of scares really that season, they they do they do feel a lot like what we just saw this past season, which is that nobody could touch them. Um, you know, three. What did you say, Matt? Could be higher than three. That was a dominant team. We'll see. Well, we'll have to see what you guys think of my number two on this list, which is I I think a tougher a tougher one for me to argue to put ahead of this 2019 LSU team. Two thousand nineteen, Vandy. I honestly couldn't tell you one thing about 2019 Vandy. Amazingly, uh, all right, let's move. Let's move on to our number twos and uh, keep the comments rolling in, guys. By the way, we've got some good stuff, some good uh, discussion going in the comments there. But, but uh, John, let's get your number two. Well, I mean, let's just keep the conversation going. Yeah. LSU 2019 is my two. Uh, I think you know. I think you make a bunch of fair points there. I think that. Some of the things for me that stand out about them is that I think they got better as the season went on. You know, they had that one big test against Alabama, and I do think that Tua was 100% healthy. You know, that might, I would love to have seen that game played again. But, I mean, they just dominated pretty much the rest of the way. That was their one-shoot test. I think it's one of those special teams that everything just kind of broke right. You know, you just had the right combination of players and coaches and, you know, We've seen Joe Brady's rapid ascension since then. Dave Aranda got a head coaching job afterwards. Like it was just the right mix of players and coaches, you know, led by Joe Burrow on the players player side. That it's just going to be a team that I think we're going to remember for a long time. Very exciting. Yes, there were some defensive deficiencies, but offensively, one of the most dominant teams I think we've ever seen. And why I think we will look back fondly on this team um, for a long time. And also, I think. It will think back on this team, and you know, I'm not trying to knock on them too hard here, but we'll think back on it. Wow, it was wrong. Won a national championship. Won <laughs> no. to doing that again. I think that's fair. I mean, I think that's a big part of why also that became a big part of the narrative it is because people didn't expect that from that 2019 LSU team, right? It, it's, I think that's a big part of why people felt so, so strongly about it when it happened is it came out of nowhere. This wasn't the team that – people thought they would be good, but I don't think anybody thought this is going to be – this is going to end up being an undefeated powerhouse. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And that's my number two also. Hey, an elite team that uh, did some special things, obviously, that year. And look at what they did against top competition. So look at the, those last two games, the, the two playoff games, won those games by an average of four touchdowns and put up – talked about the offense, obviously, John put, – put up a combined average of 53 points in those two playoff games and for, for the season was only held under 36 points once – the, the entire year, and that was a defense, not just a team, but but a defense that got better as the year went on also, where the defense was playing its best at the end of the year to go along with what they were doing offensively. Yeah, the the really the, the, the close scares came against Texas early on in the season and then against Auburn, as you mentioned, where they, they really had to squeak that one out. Uh, but down the stretch, I mean – once they got past Alabama, nobody was touching that LSU team, and it, it, those 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 postseason games were almost hilarious to watch. I mean, they they just just no nobody nobody had a chance in those games. All right, let's uh, let's uh, let, let me get to my number two here, which I which I realize is going to be a little bit controversial, but uh, I've got for my number two on this list, I've got twenty fifteen Alabama. And uh, I know this is the third different Alabama team that we've mentioned here, but this is actually the first one we've talked about that won a national title. And I don't necessarily even think everybody would agree this is the second best Alabama team of the past 10 years. But I've got them up here because to me, this 2015 team kind of is the example of an Alabama team that had it all. That uh, they, they were a dominant defensive team. They had incredible talent on both sides of the ball. This was really still sort of before the big offensive explosion uh, where they just truly let loose and spread things out. This still felt a little bit like a combination of Kiffin era and old school, What I guess what people would now refer to as murder ball, Saban style offense. Um, and and punctuated, I think, by the fact that there was a one of the greatest, I would say, one of the greatest players certainly in Alabama football history, but a guy who has gone on to uh, create a, a legacy for himself at the next level too, and Derrick Henry, who just, you know, we just talked about LSU's offense getting better and better, and their defense getting better as the season went on. Derrick Henry, not only did he sort of get better as games went on but he really started to dominate down the stretch in that season. And you go back and look at what he did in the SEC title game, what he did against Michigan State, which was just humiliating in that game. And then in the national title game against Clemson, where they Alabama really needed everything they had. They don't win that game if they don't have great running backs, multiple great running backs. If they don't have uh, a passing attack that is legitimately dangerous with one of the best tight ends that we've seen in the SEC in the last 10 years too. A, a great defense, a special teams play that came out of nowhere that nobody was expecting. Actually two of those, because we go back and look at Kenyon Drake's kick return in that game. So it was, to me, that was a complete team. And that national title game really sort of highlights that because they had to get production out of, every single spot on the field to beat that Clemson team in the national title game. So I've got 2015 Alabama here just because I think it's, 
I'm going for the argument that it's well-rounded, that they, they had, they were, they were good at everything. Yeah. And I think it's, I, mean, I like that pick. I mean, I think it's, it's almost the opposite of you know, the team that I picked in 2018 and that like, it didn't have the pure level of talent, but you felt like you got more out of everybody. Kind of like you're saying, like that was probably one of my favorite teams to cover because it didn't, you know, Jake Coker is the quarterback. I mean, Cooper Bateman started a game that season. I mean, this wasn't a team that necessarily was just, you know, overloaded with talent. There obviously was a lot, but just the decisions that Saban made and going to that onside kick, it just felt like they really had to get every little ounce of out of everybody coaching and player-wise to win. And the fact that they did, I thought was a very satisfying season. I think a, a team that Saban certainly seemed to enjoy a lot coaching. Yeah, it wasn't the, the flashiest team by any means, but I mean, looking specifically at Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry was a truly special player that year. It was as close as anybody that I can think of. It was like a, a, a created character in a video game put into real life and essentially on a, a weekly basis was out there running like a real life version of Spike from the, the Little Giants. It was that dominant like, on, a, on a weekly basis, but um, they, there were some special players on that team and the, the defense obviously did some great things also. And was he, Raglan the uh, the ice box of that team? Is that nice? <laughs> <laughs> Incredible pulls today, guys on the on the uh, on the pop culture references. I do I do want to point out you, John. You made a good point about that team not really being the the same level of talent as some of the teams around it. And I think particularly as we've been talking lately about Alabama being this receiving uh, powerhouse these days. This was a team that did not have uh, a, a dominant wide receiver on it that year. I mean, Ardarius Stewart was the leading receiver on that team, uh, or, or I'm sorry, he was the second leading receiver. Calvin Ridley was number one, but I, but I don't think it was. I don't think anybody would necessarily consider that Ridley's best season. Um, you know, OJ Howard ended up becoming a big part of that passing attack, but definitely not the most talented receiving core, not, not even close to, to one of the best receiving cores that we've seen at Alabama, but they still were, you know, they still were dangerous enough in the passing attack. And that's even with, with Jake Coker, a guy who never played another snap after college uh, at the quarterback position. And one final point, really good offensive line. You know, that's like yeah, the sure. Kelly era. And that's, you know, we talked about Derrick Henry. and Derrick Henry was incredible and Kenyon Drake. But that offensive line obviously dictated some of that, too. And I just remember, you know, that was an offensive line that you trusted. And there were some ones that came after, you know, the years following that you didn't feel the same way about. All right, let's, uh, let's, get, to our, let's get to our number ones, guys. I mean, for me, it's 2020 Alabama. So go with team that seen most recently. But to get back to my original point, my mindset with with all of this is who would I bet on head to head? And there's not a team that I would feel comfortable betting against when it came or when it comes to 2020 Alabama. And that's who I'd be betting on against any SEC team from the last decade. And just a, a team that from start to finish was well, it was dominant. There was only one game all year that for them was decided by less than than 15 points and obviously had the the toughest schedule out of any SEC team during the course of this last decade and despite facing combination of 11 SEC teams to go along with Notre Dame and Ohio State finished the season with an average scoring margin of 49 to, to 19 was that dominant throughout the course of the the season even with that kind of, of schedule special team and I've I've got them at number one too, and so does John as well. So we're unanimous on this one. But I 
here's what I want to do. I, I want you guys to refute a, a point because I was thinking about this. What is the argument against Alabama 2020? And my recency bias. Yeah, I think that's part of it for sure. I, I have a I have a point that I want to hear you guys refute uh, just for the sake of of doing it. But you know, I, I I think one of the things people hold up about this Alabama team as to why they were so great is they had to do it in a season where there were so many obstacles and where it was so difficult to be consistent and stay good week to week. And, and there were so many distractions and so many things going on. But my, I guess my counter argument that I'd like to hear you guys refute is everybody was dealing with that. And was this a season that people might point to and say, look, Alabama was great that year. They did what they did. But did they ever catch anybody at full strength? Would, would they ever play anybody that wasn't dealing with adversity they they never otherwise would have been facing, I guess? That, 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 that's a question that I wonder if people will bring up about this team. I don't know about that. The, the interesting point that, that I would bring up about this team is that easily could have been even better and even more dominant considering they played most of the year without arguably the best player on the team in, in Jalen Brown. So that, that's something that's really interesting to me about th this team is that had that average scoring margin of 30 points throughout the course of the year, but did it without arguably the best player on the team. I just wonder what this team would have looked like and how much better and how much even more dominant they would have been if they had had arguably their best player for – most of the, the season. And, and to your point, excuse me, yeah, everybody had a deal with it, but I mean, let's take a step back and look at, let's look at, you know, cross sports here for a second, college basketball. Look at all the big name programs that have really struggled this year. Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State, and these are all Hall of Fame coaches. And, you know, everybody's doing the same thing, but some teams have just crumbled under it. And I think, you know, you had the perfect mix of coaching, and players willing to buy in for the greater good. And again, we've talked about some of these other teams where, you know, 2018, it didn't always work. This year, I think it was just a great mix of both of those things. An incredible coaching staff from top to bottom. I think, you know, Nick Saban might have been better equipped to handle a COVID situation than maybe anybody just because of what they put emphasis on and, you know, being committed to putting in the work every single day, no matter what else is going on. That was a very difficult thing. I mean, you can just think about, you know, even for all of us on a personal level, how difficult it was at times to go through the pandemic with the uncertainty. And, you know, they, these guys are getting tested every day. And there's just a lot that goes into that. And I think they navigated that better than anybody else. So yes, everybody was going through it, but I think they handled it better than everybody else and were able to focus on what they do best. And that was just destroying opponents all year. And we do hear, you know, I think part of part of every preseason is there's some chatter about how camp is going, right? And there's there's rumors that go around. None of us are part of the coaching staff, so we can never really know any of this for sure. But I I think I think sometimes people take for granted the fact that you know, look, obviously Nick Saban's a big part of the success that all of his teams have had at Alabama. But Nick Saban doesn't win a national championship every year, right? So there's something different. There's some other factor besides Nick Saban being head coach that has to play into things for a team to have success. And it does really feel like going into last season, the the vibes that that we were all hearing and that that sort of the talk around the team was the leadership is good. The chemistry on the team is really good. And we have 
for people who say that that you hear that every year about every team, you do to some extent, but you don't always only hear that. There are there are times where we hear buzz about a team where there's tension, uh, there's there's rifts going on, there's things happening off the field, and uh, more often than not, those teams stumble somewhere along the way. And the 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 talk it did really seem like going into last season was that this was a team that got along really well and that the the leadership was there in the locker room. Yeah, and I think I'll make two quick points around that. One, and I remember uh, Gary Danielson made this point to me, and I thought made a lot of sense, was that the fact they didn't have spring practice eliminated the inevitable quarterback battle between Mac Jones and Bryce Young, which would have overshadowed everything. And we've seen, again, with some of these past teams, the quarterback battle has led to some rifts within the team. You know, we I remember the classic Jalen versus Tua. There were Jalen guys and there were Tua guys. And I don't think, you know, the guys kind of bought in, but that, that was an issue throughout that period. And that might have been one of the reasons why 2018 didn't work out. So the fact you knocked that out and you made Mac the guy, I think helped with chemistry. And to your point, Squeezie, I know, you know I've brought it up on this you know show in the past. There was a lot of buzz from people who know what they're talking about coming out in the summer that Saban thought this was one of his best teams ever. And I remember at the time being very skeptical of that. Again, yeah, and you should be. You got to always be skeptical of that. Well, stuff. not that, but just like, you know, Mac Jones, I mean, you're saying this is going to be better than Tua last year. Like they just lost Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Tua. And you're telling me this team is going to be better than that last one that, you know, didn't even make it to the playoff. And I was just very skeptical of that. And ultimately, as we saw, you know, they, they were, are our number one team. And so I do think Saban and other coaches know when things are a little different. I think they sensed early on at this team there was something different in a good way than some of the last teams that came up short. Sometimes the buzz is ends up being right. Sometimes there's fire where there's smoke. So, well, we we have landed on our number one team. I, I, I'm going to throw an honorable mention out there that did not make my rankings. Uh, just because I want to mention them, it's it's one of the most fun teams that I can remember covering, and it doesn't cover a whole season, so I'm cheating a little bit here. But I'm going. I'm, I want to give an honorable mention to the November 2017 Auburn Tigers, who I just think for for one brief period of time looked like unbeatable gods out there. Uh, they 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 absolutely destroyed. Georgia and Alabama in a very short period of time. Good Georgia and Alabama teams. The two teams that made it to the national championship game that year. And both of them looked like they didn't even belong on the field with that Auburn team. And ultimately, that team did not finish very strong. And a lot of it probably had to do with on Johnson getting injured late in that season. Um, but just I, to me, I have to mention them because I think for a, for a brief window of time, uh, that team was to me looked like one of the best teams of the decade in the SEC. Bringing us to the game, see, I like it. Jared Stidham. That's right. <laughs> Any anybody anybody have another one they wanted to throw out there that maybe was not not on your list, but but was <clears throat> a team that you will remember and think fondly of from the last ten years. Well, I'll just do, I'll make it short and sweet here. I just think, you know, it's worth mentioning the early, you know, decade Alabama teams that won national championships. And we don't maybe think as fondly on them just because of how much the game has changed. But, you know, those teams were obviously 2011, 2012, were obviously very good teams. And I do remember just 
2012 Alabama just absolutely crushing Notre Dame in that national championship game. And that will always be a fond memory, I guess, you know, just of just the hype coming into it and just total annihilation once that game started. Apologies to Walter Hunt. I, I did. I'm sorry, man. I had to bring him up there. Look, ultimately Alabama got what they wanted in 2017. They, they won their national championship, but you got to hand it to that, to that Auburn team for the brief window of time there that they, that they did what they did. So, uh, you know, as, as some of our, our Alabama fan friends out there will often note that Iron Bowl, quote unquote, didn't matter. Uh, but they Auburn Auburn fans got the better of them that year. So even though even though Alabama ended up winning the title, Matt, any any other any other team you want to throw out there as as one final one final acknowledgement before we wrap up here today? I think we've pretty much covered it. All right, we're we're. Uh, we're good to go. We've got our top three teams of the last decade. Thanks to everybody in the comments for giving us your contributions as well. And uh, for Matt Zenitz and John Talty, I am Matt Scalisi. And thanks for joining us, everybody, here on First Down South.